Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hey, this is Cleveland Brown, and you're listening to the About Last Night podcast. I guess your TV must be broken. Ha <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. You're bored. Hey, guys. Adam Ray for the About Last Night podcast. Happy Monday. What an episode today. Holy shit. Composer, lyricist, playwright, uh, an institution in the musical theater world, Jason Robert Brown. Makes his ALN debut today, holy shit, from his place in New York City. Uh, sat down for a really incredible chat. Uh, as funny as he is sweet, as he is inspiring. A guy that has just, um, I don't want to say perfected an art form, but comes damn near close to making his stamp uh, in a profession that is uh, pretty hard to make your mark in. Um Jason Robert Brown has done that, winning Tony Awards for his work on Parade and the Bridges of Madison County, um, writing the music. Uh, w- by the way, he won Best Original Score at the Tonys for Parade and Bridges of Madison County, um, uh, which is insane. Um, the last five years, Parade, um, Honeymoon in Vegas, um, uh, 13 in which we talked about, which he pretty much discovered Ariana Grande. And she was in that show that he uh, uh, wrote and created and wrote the music for. Um, I met Jason Robert Brown when he guest professed at USC my senior year for a musical theater audition class. We became buds. We've kept in touch and um, finally made it work. It's been a couple years plus in the making to, to sit down and chat, but um, I'm pretty pumped about this episode. It was uh, just everything you could ask for. Showed up to his place, went to his office, where his piano and, and all his works are, and, and we just chatted for a while. And it's um, he, Jason is as, as real as it gets, man. Uh, a father, too, um, married uh, to Georgia. Uh, his wife, who is uh, an also accomplished uh, playwright and author and, and lyricist, composer, and... Um, just talking to him about the journey into this business where he uh, developed his love for music and musical theater and staying inspired and staying uh, hungry and, and finding ways to get passionate about work uh, day in and day out, uh, writing the perfect song, writing music for Tony Danza and, and writing his first show and, and discovering Ariana Grande. This episode just is, uh, is one of my faves and it's just me and Jay and, uh, and I hope you dig it. Um, follow Jason on Twitter at Mr. Jason R.B. Brown. Uh, follow him on Instagram, I think at Jason Robert Brown. Um, and uh, he's got a once-a-month once show uh, in New York, uh, which you should check out, I think, at the um, is it New York City Center or the fuck Subculture. That's where it is. I think once a month he's there. But follow him on Twitter, Jason Robert Brown on Twitter. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Jason R. Brown on Twitter. Follow me at Adam Ray Comedy, at Alan Podcast, at Brett Williams Comic. Uh, this weekend, I'm going to be in Tempe, Arizona, baby. Fuck. 
one of my favorite clubs in the country, Thursday through Sunday, Tempe Improv in Tempe, Arizona. Tickets at adamraycomedy.com or improv.com. Come out and see me, Tempe, Arizona, 20th through the 23rd of December. That's Thursday through Sunday. Um, January 3rd through the 5th, I'm at Helium in Portland, Oregon. January 3rd through the 5th. January 10th through the 12th, I'm at Helium in Philadelphia. All those tickets at adamraycomedy.com. I'm booked up through March, baby, so come out and see me hang. I'm getting ready to shoot my hour in the spring, so come out and see that shit live before I tape it. Brad Williams is in Australia right now, so if you're not in Australia, you're shit out of luck. BradWilliamsComedy.com for all his U.S. tour dates and Australia dates. If you're out there, go see Brad. AboutLastNightPodcast.com for past and present eps and ALN merch, beanies, um, hoodies, sweats. Go get them. AboutLastNightPodcast.com. Email us at AboutLastNightPod at gmail.com with your favorite ALN moments, where you get the pod, how you got into it, your favorite eps, and we'll read that. A moment on, on air, possibly, and you get a chance to win some free merch. ShopAdamRay.com for all your Adam Ray merch. Holidays are coming up. Go get some Adam Ray hats, shirts, hoodies at ShopAdamRay.com and, uh, and spread the word for the pod and my comedy. Huh? She-Ra's on Netflix right now. Go stream it. I play Swift Win the Talking Horse, American Vandal, of course, on Netflix as well. Um... And uh, the best of ALNs are coming up, which is uh, pretty exciting. We've got a few more eps before the uh, the end of 2018. Doug Benson, and then the best of ALNs to close out the year. So make sure you're subscribed on iTunes and comment and rate the podcast on the iTunes page. Helps us climb the charts. Now that we've got the tour dates, Twitter handles, and merch info out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night podcast with the one and only Jason Robert Brown. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to Chat about it. Got a midget and a Jew, so why don't you sit down and listen to a no podcast during lunch, dinner, or breakfast? Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of the day. So come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. You know, when you had me help you workshop those songs sure. for Tony Danza yes. for Honeymoon in Vegas, yes, which brilliant show, by the way. Thank you very much. Music. Um, I know that people say Stars in the Moon from um, uh, songs from New World. I wasn't going to get you out of that one. I was, I was just going to leave it until you could figure out the name. <laughs> hey, of man, the you've got a lot of hits. <laughs> uh, people say that is like, and by people, I mean Wikipedia, but also people say like that is one of your like top compositions, right? Do you, hear, uh, do you hear that? I do hear that, yeah. But isn't it enough from Honeymoon in Vegas to me is like one of the best songs, not only that you've ever written, but uh, musically. I've, I've seen a lot of musicals, a lot of heart. Also probably, you know, I can't help but fantasize while you're having me work it out that like maybe this is how, where I make my Broadway debut. debut. And then um, basically why we're here today, Jay, is so I can confront you on the... Uh, on the casting uh, that didn't happen. You right. know? And no, I basically want to know, what does Danza have that I don't? Um, <laughs> so I'm, much was said in that um. I'm going to tell you a bunch of things <laughs> that Tony Danza has that you don't. Okay. The first is what he doesn't have anymore is a house uh, in Malibu, which is not because it got burned up. He sold it right before we started rehearsals for Honeymoon in Vegas because he decided it was time for him to move to New York and be a New York guy. So he came uh, east. 
Uh, but I got to see the house in Malibu before he sold it. So that was that was, was it nice. That was that was how I met him first. Yeah, of course it was nice. The guy has a lot of fucking money. Yeah, people forget a couple sitcoms will do you right. And not just I mean I, you know there were a the couple of sitcoms. One of which he was the, you know the executive producer on you know the, yes and uh, and he's just he's a work machine. He is he's the great thing about him is that no matter what we threw at him. As a as a as an actor, no matter what we asked the character to do, he was game and he would go to work because he's an athlete. And so he was always like, if we'd said to him, "Oh, you know, we think the character should juggle chainsaws in this scene," you know, you just see him off in the corner suddenly with three chainsaws in his hand and trying to figure it out because he's he he every morning he works out for like an hour and a half before yeah. rehearsal even starts. He's like on the elliptical. He used to post videos like Daily Dan's updates. He's just, I mean, he's ripped like a crazy man. Yeah. And he had, at the time, there were there were a series of women. Who maybe this is, you know, maybe he doesn't need this information to be public. <laughs> sure. But there was, you know, there was... Women were lusting over Dan. There was girlfriend number one, and then yeah. there was girlfriend number two, and there was one who was age appropriate, and then one who was sort of not. And right. I, you know, but I, he was just, he was heaven. And, you know, comparatively, if I had to say, oh, I could have Tony Dance or I could have Adam Ray... I, I'm still going with Tony, and um, that's not a yeah. that's not a slight against you. No, dude. that's not a person. That's not anti-Semitism. That is <laughs> a basic reality that some people are proven to deliver, and other people have a podcast, and that's <laughs> Shit, dude. what I think about. Your fans, went. you're not supposed to be funnier than the host, dude. So right now, but people should I, know. Do people know? Because look, man, I think it's easy to assume. Do people know? Is anyone listening to this podcast know who I am at all? A lot of people, dude. You know who you are and you know what you've done and you know what you mean to the world. That's my dog. Miles is here uh, standing and barking at both of us because we're not paying him enough attention. By the way, Miles is uh, Jason Robert Brown's security guard that he talks to like he's a dog and he only lets speak in dog uh, sounds. You pay him to bark, which I think is like a weird rich person request, but also... You know, again, I'm hits gonna, change you. I'm going to let you play out this gag <laughs> as long as you want to, and let's see where where it goes. Um, is there a is there a difference working with somebody who's not like like obviously Tony comes from a uh, a world of you know stage and just singing and, and dancing, but like somebody like that that hasn't done it in a while versus someone who's just been in the Broadway grind for oh, like ten sure. years. I mean, the, Broadway is a discipline more than anything else. Those people who do shows one after another, they know how to deliver in a very certain way in terms of how to get something across on a stage. And Tony, who had done some Broadway shows and who was a talented guy, God knows, but Tony's technique was television. And so Tony could look at a script and he could see a laugh coming three pages away and knew how to knew instinctively how to aim towards it and land it and that was just this unbelievable thing about how to how to play to a camera how to play to a you know how to play a scene so that it built in a very specific way but the size of a broadway stage and the stamina you need to pull that across yeah. was a thing he needed to build up to right. which he acknowledged um, and he 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 went to town to 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 do that because what he doesn't ever want to be is like oh he's the carpetbagger you know right Tony was like he said no one's gonna underestimate me <laughs> you know and he went for it um, so Broadway people I mean even the lazy ones that I know 
are not lazy when they get on stage. There right. is something in them about the energy you have to put forth in terms of how to learn something, how to move it into your body, and how to hold on to it. I think that's a key part of the discipline that's different, is the holding on to it. Because so often, you know, when you do movies, you know, you, you do your shot and then you move on yeah. and you never see it again yeah and if i asked you to do it like a week later you'd be like i don't even remember doing this in the first place right and broadway folk you know that the people in the musical theater just have to retain enormous amounts really quickly because you in order to perform it with all of these disciplines combined in order to do the singing and the acting and all the dancing and the movement and all of that and do it loud enough that the yeah. people in front of you can hear it You've got to be able to absorb it into your body really, really fast. And to be connected every night and to, but also do it fresh, right? I mean, I feel like that's, and you tell me as, as when you're like writing music and you see someone, does it ever get to a point to where someone performs what you've written to uh, like perfectly where you're like, okay, do, and you pull them aside and you go, do that again. Uh, do, do what you did tonight every night. Or do you step back and you want them to find uh, something about it different each night and <laughs> we were holding for dog um, but like do you uh, encourage them to to I think it's I think it's lock in or just keep the exploration that depends on the people okay. to be honest what it always is about is there are people who know how to get under the skin of the work and so sometimes they might do it a little bit off of my intention or sometimes they'll bring something to it that I'm a little like oh that isn't what I meant but what those people can do when there are people who I really love working with when you look at like I mean Joshua Henry is a guy who I worked with uh, he did the, the parade concert we did and he just did a last five years concert with me um, and he's done you know some of my other shows and so when I work with someone like Joshua it isn't for me to just sort of say oh freeze it there what I really want to do is to say, just you just keep exploring, because whatever you bring to this material is thrilling to me. It's exciting to me. Your brain is always working at the same level. And then there are other actors who, God knows, they could do it 400 different ways, and it would never really be what I'm looking for. It, they just don't quite lock into the way I think, the way I write, the way I... Uh, I speak, which is, it, that's a hard relationship. It's a hard relationship for actors. It's a hard relationship for writers just to find that place, you know, where we both meet right in the middle. It doesn't, it doesn't happen with a lot of actors and me. I, I, I think there's a, there's a musical intelligence that I'm looking for in the people that I work with. And I think it's just rare for people to connect exactly on that level. Right. Great when it happens, but rare. Also, I can't imagine how difficult it is to like the last five years, like I saw you perform that, I think at UCLA, like once oh, yeah. I, people should know this too, how we met. Uh, so look, before J-Date, there was Craigslist and we were both looking for love in, in, <laughs> and a couch. I, I, oh. <laughs> oh. No, 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 so you were guest professing. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, you know, the ambient last night is not entirely worn off and I like, I feel the lines coming at me and I'm like, I'm not fast enough to no. grab at them. And yeah, but you are. And you already did your job in the first two minutes. Thank you. And that's all people are going to listen to this anyway. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, no, well, yeah. my deal is I, I got an offer to come be a guest professor at USC yeah. for a semester. Yeah. And you were in you this was you, musical you, theater audition class well i guess that's what it was yeah it was an audition class yeah. and but you were a senior at the time yeah yeah 
So you were a senior, and I remember it was you and a bunch of other people. And to, I mean, I, you know, I'm totally generally like clueless about human nature and like what's going on in the world. And I remember like being in this class, and we would work every week, and some of the people would show up and they would really like be there to do it. And yeah. some of the people were clearly like, I am supposed to be here, so I will do it fine. Right. And there was one class where there was one girl who was just, she was up there and she was crying for the entire time she was up there. Oh, in theater school? But I wasn't saying anything. It's like I had I had just said, okay, let's sing your song. And I, she started singing and just started crying and like I think I weeping this. and out of control yeah. weeping the whole class. And I looked at you and you looked at me like sort of shrugging, <laughs> like I should understand what was happening. And then she left and the class was over. And like six months later, you and I were talking and you were like, yeah, I remember when she was so fucked up that she just came in and she cried through the whole song. And I was like, she was fucked. I didn't even know that's what was going on. I thought she was having like an emotional. She was like, no, no, she was tripping the entire time. Oh, so that was what USC really felt yeah. like. after. <laughs> and then I stayed there for another eight years. Yeah. So. That way, how does, is that a cool thing to get asked to come do or you, you uh, been a USC professor. was a very specific thing. I I do a lot of well, I used to do a lot of master classes where I would come in for a day to a college. Yeah, and what those generally felt like was I talk and I talk and I talk and I talk, and the person who's up there singing doesn't get all that much out of it because they're too like, holy shit, I'm sitting here and Jason Robert Brown is talking to me, and so I would feel like I would do the class, I would get done. I would go home and nothing I had said would really penetrate, but they got to say, well, I sang for Jason Robert Brown. And so I didn't want to do that anymore. And I said, how do I do a sort of long-term thing where right. I can find out whether what I'm doing is having any effect? Good call. And so that was what my USC thing uh, turned into was it was really an opportunity to just stay long-term. And ultimately there were kids who I worked with as freshmen and saw them through to seniors and really was able to chart their progress and to check my own progress, to really learn something along with them. And I have to say, at the end of all of that, when I finally left USC, I also stopped doing the master classes entirely because I really, if I wasn't going to be able to have that kind of experience interacting with the, the students, really like getting inside the work, then I didn't want to do it anymore. There wasn't anything for me left to learn about just showing up at a school and, you know, hearing you sing 16 bars and for me to say, yes, you're brilliant. Or, well, right, maybe right. not. You know, I, the, and I, I got the latter half of that, but um. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. You were very good. We're going to you're going to have to reckon with your musical theater soul one of these days. I Adam. dude, I I'm not even kidding, dude. Like, I mean, I, I saw two musicals while I was here over four days. And what were they? Well, Frozen and, <laughs> and Avenue Q. Uh, look, I kidnapped two eight-year-olds. Um, brought the, no, uh, it was my girlfriend for both shows. She uh, you know loves Frozen, and I was curious. That was one of those shows where I straight up was like, "Look, I last time I was here, I saw Dear Evan Hansen, which was phenomenal. Sure, right? Um, it was great. Uh, maybe I overstepped with phenomenal. It was really great. It yeah. was, uh, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not, uh, I'm not. I also don't like to cry a ton in musicals. <laughs> <laughs> just, you just want to cry like what, like a single teardrop just out of one eye. That's and that's See, it. You get me, uh, yes. Exactly. And it would have been. There's just. Uh, I don't know. I want to. Uh, I want to laugh. I want to have a good time. And I and I want to feel something, but not. Uh, I get overwhelmed with emotion. Um, but I mean, maybe that's. Maybe you're supposed to in a Broadway show. I, Frozen, well, not a ton of emotion. I, the only emotion what? I felt was anger. From the drunk woman next to me, who. Ooh. Oh, do tell. Oh, dude. Some people forget. 
that even if they're not on stage, they don't have lines in the play. <laughs> this woman, I think, uh, well, she did this thing, first of all, where she um, would look into her wine glass every five minutes, maybe five seconds, shake it and look at the bottom of it, like how much is left. Uh, right. But like every couple of seconds to where it was like, do you think this is like hook and you're going to imagine more Chardonnay to fill up into your glass? I, I, just, I also like the idea that what they should have given her is a glass that would just measure it out over the course of the show. That yeah. was like automatically, oh, it's been five minutes. Now you get another hit so that she could, <laughs> yeah. you know, rather than having to wait until intermission, she yes. would make sure she had enough <laughs> yeah. to get through the first act rather than blow it too early. Well, this that would have been great. And if you could become her sponsor, that would be awesome because <laughs> this person needed one. Look, I'm all for having a drink at a show, but like a daytime show? a kid show and I look over at one point and I'm like because they were talking so much and to my girlfriend I'm like I'm so close to saying something she goes they're so drunk they're just gonna like and now are those people kind of talking about the people talking so she's just like just shut up and uh, and then at one point the woman says this and it's now in my act and some jokes and I don't know if this happens for you with music but something just you see it you hear it it, it, come, it goes in your head and goes down on paper the way that it was and you're just like what a gift yeah. this woman literally goes in me discussing on stage about people not uh, understanding that you know their name is not on the playbill like you're in the seat you don't have lines your job is to sit there be quiet don't break the fourth wall let them break it if, if something happens yeah. uh, she during Elsa spoiler alert freezes a lot of stuff that's one of her powers if you haven't seen it she's doing all that there's a lot of cool set dressings with the ice and whatever and this woman under her breath just goes big deal you're made ice I got a fridge bitch and I was like awesome <laughs> you probably have a debit card you know and a social security number and you just felt threatened by a fictional character <laughs> I I saw I saw a, a show uh, yesterday actually and at the climax of the play these two characters who are not allowed to be in love with each other they yeah. finally kiss and it's this like wrenching moment because you know they're not going to be able to be together yeah. and I swear to God and it's a three hour play and I swear to God someone in this audience who paid the $170 for their ticket whatever somebody went ooh <laughs> And I was like, really? I know I've had to learn to train myself out of paying attention to what's around me yes. while I'm sitting in an audience for yeah. a show. And I'm like, really? For the $145, whatever it was for a ticket, I have to train myself not to be in the audience? I, I have to like, I have to work. Because so, the show started and there was somebody with the feedback, like, oh. you know, with the... They've got the hearing device in with their hearing aid oh, at the same God. time. So can, and I thought, what am I, you know, because I have ears. That's what I do is yeah. I hear that. So I'm like, I, so we're all looking around for where's that? And I'm like, all right, I'm going to not pay attention to that. It's and impossible. It, and then every time something would happen, I just wanted to keep saying, could you all, could you all maybe not react? Because the way you're reacting is not appropriate. <laughs> it's not logical. It's not, it's not anything. You're just children. People forget they're not at home. And there's like a comfort of like, I don't get, but it's like the commentary. There's a lot of things. Keep that upstairs. But I, th I think they're performing. I think they perform for their friends and for their husbands. Yeah. And for, I mean, that's, you know, bitch, I got a refrigerator. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think she's, she wants to make sure that everybody knows that she's the star. Yeah. She paid for this experience and she's going to be yeah. the center of it. Or maybe she was a, you know, when I worked at Universal Studios playing Wolverine, <laughs> Look, Wait, I was looking I'm sorry. At, I was looking, I, uh, what other elements of your Jayla. resume have we left off? Dude, a lot, and I'm getting to it. But okay. uh, so you uh, you knew me at that point. Um, so that there were just to piggyback on that point about people, you know, deflecting. There was some of my bosses were such evil people, and then I learned to find that some of them were like 
ex-actresses and Disney princesses and then quit and became the bosses of theme park characters. So once I knew that, I had a greater understanding of like, okay, maybe I can like simmer down my anxiety towards the way she's telling me that Wolverine would never pick up a squirt gun from a kiosk and shoot an old Korean man in the butt, you know? And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's 98 degrees outside and that was hilarious for a lot of passerbyers, you know? And Wolverine is known for his comedy. <laughs> if there's she one fucking thing, said that to me at one point. Like, what are you making jokes for? They should always tell me. Should, yeah, dude, you're so funny. <laughs> yeah, I would. Do, yeah, that was a tough balance. Um, All right, everything goes wrong in your life, starting right now. Let's just say, I mean, God forbid, but sure. let's say everything goes wrong in your life. Yeah, and you get a call. They're willing to take you back. <laughs> Are you going back? Are you going back into the first suit? You're putting on the claws. Are you going to do it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Because I can make a phone call. Oh, I know you can, dude. And and can you? Can <laughs> <laughs> you call Robert Meyer or whatever his name is, the head of Unity? Um, I hope I don't ever have to go back there. But look. They did say when I turned in my claws, <laughs> we, uh, there's, you know, we're, we're one Professor X, you know, call away or whatever. I remember the person when I did get fired make, made a joke. And I did get fired because it's like a point system. Yeah. This is not important. Um, what, were your, what were your jobs before you got into this? I, I, had, I know I, you worked a lot in like, you're, you've been playing piano since when? Well, I, I started playing piano, I guess, when I was about seven or eight. I begged my parents to get a piano, and my grandfather had an old upright that he had gotten at a, like a yard sale or something, and it was in the basement. Yeah. And they brought it up, and they put it in the living room, and I started playing. And it was, it was just it was the thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to make music, and I saw this machine that could make music, and I wanted to do it. So I started doing it. No, it's not a family thing. It's, uh, I mean... There is music hidden in my family in a lot of weird places. Yeah. Uh, and my dad, I think, always harbored a dream about being a musician, but it just wasn't where his life went in, on any level. And so, uh, you know, when it came out of me, I think my dad felt very satisfied. But he was like, oh, wow, this is, this is a thing. Um, and they were always, God bless them, my folks were always so supportive of that desire on my part to be a musician when they had no idea what it entailed or what it meant. I mean, you know, I dropped out of college. First of all, I went to a music school, which already it was like... Eastman School of Music yeah, in Rochester. Can't, I mean, can't you go to a real college? I was like, no, it's very hard. <laughs> but, you know, and then I dropped out after two years. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I think I broke my mother's heart. Of course. And, you know, I mean, this is... We're talking about major Jewish motherhood. Uh, and I, But if you ever wanted to repair your mother's broken heart, you can invite her to watch you win a Tony Award. And yeah. so I or feel comb like, your hair for Shabbat. Uh, well, <laughs> even if I... Yes. So, But but getting to... What you invited, that's... Okay, yeah, we'll yeah. come back to that. That's insane. But that's what I mean. I, that, that was the circle. There was... I always suspected that if I did the theater thing, it was going to work out for me. But how are you supposed to tell people who aren't in the theater that? And that was ultimately my challenge with my family, with pretty much anyone I knew, was I know there's a path... And my mother would be like, but you didn't even graduate college. What are you going to do for money? And so when, the only job I had that was like, 
a, like a job that humans have was I delivered pizza for like three days no in college way. and I was the worst. I was <laughs> terrible at it. I was constantly delivering it to the wrong houses and forgetting what the order was. And yeah. like, I, Subconsciously, was, you knew this wasn't for you. Oh, it wasn't subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. I was not that guy sitting there sweeping the pizza place and being like, one day I'm going to own this. <laughs> it, was, I, it was not. I, you know, I was I, I had just dropped out of college, but you needed I needed something like, immediately to make cash. Oh, yeah, to, yeah, well, stability, right? Yeah. And so I, I ended up because you, if you can play piano, there's a lot of things you can do because it's just a skill that not a lot of people have on a, on a high level. And I'm not like. I'm not a genius piano player, but I can get through pretty much anything. That's debatable. The first part. I, I was going to say, no, it's not. I can. I, I was can pausing much. for you to say, so I could say that, but that yeah. was supposed to go after you said, I'm not a genius piano player. No, it's, I, I don't have a lot of, um, a lot of traditional technique. So if you need me to like play Chopin for you, it's going to be a catastrophe. But if you need me to just get through something that I can do, and I always have been able to do that. I could do it in high school. I can do it. So if you ask me like weird gigs that I had, there was music related, uh, right? They're all music related. Yeah. You know, right after I, I left school, I, I went and played piano at my old summer camp and that was fine. And then I went to Miami and I ended up teaching uh, and playing piano at the New World School of the Arts. Uh, and then I came to New York. And once I came to New York, the really weird gig started. Because um, I played in piano bars, uh, which was... No way. Uh, that was an easy thing for me to do. Um, Just playing all the hits. Playing all the hits, playing anything. I mean, really. A little, and, you, and, you know, I'd, I'd have to sing a lot and run the room and do all of that stuff. But I was so young at the time that... You know, the mostly gay men who were the clientele, they all thought, ooh, fresh meat. So I think I got away with that. And then the older women who yeah. were there, they were all sort of like, Loved oh, you. this sweet kid, let me help him get through this. Yeah. So I think I he got bar mitzvahed, let yeah. me help him with his Torah portion. Yeah. And no, that is I, a euphemism. <laughs> but I had a lot of people who helped me through a situation that I was, I, because I was really naive and really young. And I but you just, have to be, right? Well. Naive, a little bit. I, uh, I to, guess. To, to how tough that what you were embarking on is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I just grew up very sheltered kid. I grew up in Rockland County, and it was really, it was just, it was all nice kids. Everyone, I went, you know, I, I, and, you know, my daughter now is growing up in New York City, and it's like she's 13, and I know she's got friends who are drug dealers and friends who are blowing their brothers. And yeah, oh, I mean, it's God. all like, it's horrible. And if that was going on in my high school, I just, I did not know. We were just all the nice kids. And uh, I came to New York City, and it was New York City. Yeah. And I had to adjust really quickly to a world that I had not emotionally or physically prepared for. So that was, um, the piano bar was weird enough. There was one gig, I remember, there was a woman who was like totally narcotized uh, trophy wife who... Was, I, she she couldn't move most of her face for the yes. plastic surgery, but she lived in the Upper East Side. We think she was and, having a good time. And she she had two little dogs who never stopped barking and peeing all over the house. But what she wanted more than anything was to be an opera singer. And she had no talent, none. And I think she knew that somewhere, but she had so much money that what she would do is she would just hire people to come over and play the piano while she sang no arias. And so I used to go do this like twice a week I'd go oh to her house God. and it was the saddest weirdest accompanying a dream that's already entire... failed yeah yes and and for me personally I was like oh god what if this is my life what if I become like the guy who plays piano for these people oh yeah um 
And so there was, but it paid, yeah, right? And it, it was, paid, and, it, and, and you're flexing the muscle, right? It's a gig that you're like always. Like I would want to just really quickly say with the Wolverine gig, even as shitty as that, <laughs> hear me out. As shitty as that it was, there was still like a performing, improvising aspect that I was like, I'm not waiting tape. I'm still getting to performing. You know, I'm I'm flexing that muscle. Well, one of the things about being a musician is most of the time, what I'm doing everyone around me doesn't understand you know unless I'm in a room with other musicians what I usually am is the one musician in a room with a lot of people who are just doing things you know they're singing or they're acting or they're dancing or whatever and as a musician you can just do all sorts of shit underneath that nobody knows what you're doing so there would be whenever I had to play for dance classes or I would have to play for this woman singing bad opera or anything like that there would always be places where I would be like well I could change this chord I could practice this rhythm I can do it this way I can play it in this key I can move it around that way and so there's always stuff that I'm doing to keep my brain working and to keep my chops moving and learning how to do that and not disrupt the activity that is actually paying the bills I think is a big part of what musicians end up doing for most of their careers how do you get better without everyone hearing you practicing yeah wow great answer did I, thank you and, and good night <laughs> yeah that was that was such a total conversation stopper no it was amazing no that was great i was taking that in so was the audience uh did you was your musical ear because one of my best friends was a giant fan of you and definitely um is freaking out that this is happening and uh is playing piano largely in part to you and uh told me to ask but i was going to ask this anyway because he has a crazy musical ear right and he can you know read music uh well but he got into it and has the most fun um and considers himself um just uh someone who um you know he could hear any song Get to the fucking point adam what are you saying uh when did you lose your virgin <laughs> uh he um he, he he can hear any song and play it do you have that skill set and when did that that was well that's that is a thing that I had to pick up fairly early okay. because when I was in junior high school, let's say, I mean, I was, I was always a short kid and my voice didn't change until I was almost 17 and I had skipped a grade. So I was the runt of the runt and I wasn't, it's not like I was going to be an athlete anyway. I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be in the theater department, right. all that stuff. So in order for me to get any attention from women at all, I had to have some kind of skill. So, of course, all the girls want to sing. So, if you can play the songs the girls want to sing, they will then come around. They, wow. will, they will sit next to you on the piano bench, and they might even put their arm around you while they sing. So, you know, I always say, I, this was an enormous motivator for me yeah. to get better was just to get attention. Yes. From, not like to get attention in the broad sense of the word, but specifically female attention yes. was only going to happen if I could, if they could say to me, oh, I want to sing Flashdance and I could play it because this was the 80s and that was the <laughs> sort of song that they would ask to, to sing. Um, and, you know, then I went to a performing arts camp. And again, it's just the way to get people to gather around you. The piano is always the center, you know. So if I'm sitting at the piano and people are gathered around me, what you don't want them to do is, can you play Don't Stop Believing? And I'd be like, uh, you just start playing. You start playing it and you hope that you get to the end of Don't Stop Believing. Holy shit. So, so you, would, you wouldn't practice for the piano bar gigs, would you? Or No, no, you, you really can't. The piano bar gigs are practice. They're practice yeah. for your life. You just Someone has to throw something at you, and you have to be ready to go with it. And I'm not even... 
on a level with a lot of those guys, like John Pizzarelli, who's a jazz guitarist, who's a friend of mine, and you call out any tune of like 100,000 songs in the Great American Songbook, and he literally can play it down the minute you start saying it. And I don't have those kind of chops, but there was, there was, there was a, a repertoire of really dumb pop songs and really basic show tunes that at a certain age, I just had to know. And I've lost... I am no longer au courant with what the kids want because I have now been married for a long time and do not need that attention in the same way. <laughs> yeah. Or if I do, I'm not allowed to get it yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's... I don't know, you played, you accompanied Ariana Grande on the, uh, was that the MTV? Yeah, the MTV Video Music Awards. That no, was... no, it was the Video Movie Award. What? Video Movie Or was it the they Grammys? the same fucking thing? No, 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 I didn't play on the Grammys. But I did, it was I did sh- get to play for her at Madison Square Garden. I, we wrote a song together and so I did that at Madison Square Garden. Shut that was a bucket list thing. Up. That was really cool. Um, Don't. Eat. But we did. We did. We did MTV. We did. Uh, it was the movie awards. The yes. Movie that awards. was insane, and that yeah. was a like, you know, that was for me watching you do that. That was pretty. That was surreal, man. No, that's that is that's that was you taking real, your mom to the Tonys. I was. I was your mom real in that, that they that they show at, you know at my at my death. Uh, <laughs> but it was the really the coolest thing about it was Ari because she said. They said to her, oh, we're going to do this big thing where you go through and you have a big orchestra playing and you do all of this and you've got... And she was the one who said, you know what? I don't want to do that. I just want to have Jason playing the piano and me singing. And they were like, what? And she said, yeah, just forget all the rest of it. I want a piano in the middle of the room and I want to sit there and he'll play and I'll sing. And this was such an alien concept to the movie awards where everything was like you know cameras flying around and massive you know hallucinogenic trees wandering through you know it was all supposed to be big and to her credit she just stuck by and said this is what'll be fun for me and every time that she's called me to do something it's because she just wants to do something that's about the singing and she has times in her life where she wants to do the big event and she wants to do you know something very visual or something that's very fashiony or something that's very that but She's got these really specific moments where what she wants to do is make music the kind of way she made it when she was 14 years old when I first met her. And I think that's what makes her special is she has that part of her as well. And I'm, you know, look, I'm very lucky to get on board that train at any time. Yep. Because I... I had a moment where I got asked to be sort of in the pop music world and I took a look around it and I was like, I don't belong here. I don't listen to this stuff. I'm not, I, you know, I don't care about it much. And so it, it just clearly wasn't a fit. And then 10 years after that fact, there's Ariana who shows up, who I've known since she was, you know, this little kid in my Broadway show. And she says, I want to take you along with me on this ride. It's just, it's the best way to do it. It's the most fun way to do it. And I haven't had to like, I haven't had to feel when I work with Ariana that I'm lowering my standards or not doing the stuff that feels right to right. me or that, you know, selling Because it's about the music. Way. She just wants to make music. You and, met her, uh, you cast her in 13, right? I cast her in 13. Which, she by was, the way, that know, show was unbelievable and should be resurrected at some point. Well, I Or hope, shot into, or made into a movie. I hope we're making, I, I, I can't say this. Don't, don't. So yeah. I'm not going no. to. Well, let me but just But in the event that it. I was never going to say anything about it, I think we might be making a movie oh, anyway. God, yeah. But um, that was, I, did I see, was she in it when I saw it yeah. at the Amundsen? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. no. At the Amundsen, she wasn't. We did, okay. it in, we did it in L.A. first. That was the very first version. Right. And then a year later, we brought it to Broadway. And that, you know, Ari had come in 
as this 13-year-old girl from Boca Raton, and she sang at the audition, and she remembers what she sang at the audition. It would be a better story if I remembered, but I don't. But I, all I remember is she the sang family like... Family Ties theme song? She sang like... <laughs> <laughs> She sang like five notes, and we all just looked at each other. Just sure, fine. Let's. I mean, I we called her back because you call everyone back. Yes. But the real story is there's in the opening number of Thirteen. There's a moment at the end of the song where all of the kids. There's like four places for the kids to do like an ad lib riff. Thing. Yeah. And so on the first day of rehearsal of the of the Broadway company. I got all the kids around the piano and I said, all right, I just want to try out who's going to do the riffs. And it turned out that Ariana was the last person in the, in the circle as it went around yeah. anyway. But so everybody's doing their riffs and some of them, you know, some of them would like raise their hands and laugh and they like knew they couldn't really, and they couldn't do anything. And some of them really were like, they were pretty good. And it just went around and it went around and I was like making notes. All right, that kid did a good riff, that kid, no, never. And, they, and then Ariana opens her mouth at the end of it and we all, I stopped playing and we all just fell out because what are you going to do? She, her riff was so unbelievable and completely out of control, fantastic. Like all of this technique and all of this musicality and like, high belting wailing all over that and there was it was sort of like well maybe we should just not do the rest of the song but we'll just do the part where you riff and we'll just extend that for about four hours yeah. maybe we can... she was that good was like. huh? oh she was that good and so whenever anyone says to me oh you discovered ariana grande i'm like well look i'll take credit for it but i didn't need to dis- i mean she was gonna get found but you that, know, that show the, put i mean that was her introduction to not yeah. only broadway but i mean the yeah, world no, more well, less, well yeah. I, I think it's from that show she then ended up getting cast in the the nickelodeon show right uh, and so from from victorious then the whole rest of her career happened but the you can definitely the, take credit for that that's the, insane yeah no the nick people saw her do 13 and and we just she was very special so I'm happy I got to her first is sort of the way that I like to think of it. Where does a show like that come from? Like, and how different is it to, because you know the music, you didn't you write the... I wrote a lot of the book because the story was mine. Yes. Um, I, I think the main thing for me about my shows is I want them all to be different. Uh, I don't ever want to write the same thing I already wrote. And so far I've been lucky and that my shows are all different and that the albums... Uh, are are different as well. The albums also speak to a, a, a different part of me, and so that it, when I'm, what happened with thirteen specifically is I had written songs for a new world. I had written parade. Songs for a new world was when you were twenty five. That was the first thing that kind yeah, of right. Songs for a new world. I was twenty five. That yeah. was ninety five, and then parade was ninety eight when I was twenty eight, and then last five years was two thousand two, um, and after last five years, I had sort of burned out on the process and you know getting shows produced in new york was just hard and depressing yeah. and it was and what i really wanted to do was connect with what it felt like when i was a kid and i loved the theater and i thought why don't i just write a show with a whole bunch of kids like in it and just be surrounded by that energy and yeah. that was a massive miscalculation because <laughs> theater oh, kids are miserable little fucks but i i really um <laughs> My thought at the time was it was going to be like summer camp, yeah. but it's not because they're professional actors. <laughs> yeah. 
and they are just pigs. they're just as ruthless as yeah. grown-up actors yeah. except that they're you know they're kids and so they're much more manipulative and <laughs> so it was, it was a terrible idea yeah. but i it, uh, but the idea of it got me to, to writing the show yes and so every show i write you know then when i honeymoon in vegas was actually the next show i started it took a while for that one to get on but that was again i just wanted to write a comedy i wanted to write something that was just really funny because i think people didn't know that was part of who i was and bridges of madison county i thought i really want to write a romance i haven't written something that just feels so romantic and yeah. you know just big all that big kind of music so each of my shows has has come from a place of like what is it that i want to say what part of me haven't i exposed and then i've got the two albums you know wearing someone else's clothes uh, it was sort of a compendium that was, that was my first album yep. it was in 2005 and that was really me saying look i know i've been hiding behind these shows all the time but there is a me under here who always wanted to be Billy Joel and me under here who always wanted to be Randy Newman. And, and it, it, that singer-songwriter voice has been quietly working away while you guys have been watching these musicals or not watching them, as the case may be. And so that was the first album. And so the second album... How We Get and How We Recover. How We React and How We Recover how we react, yeah. is a lot about... It's a lot about the political moment that we're in and it's a lot about what it is to be that guy who put out an album 12 years ago what does it look like 12 years later what does my life look like as someone who has you know i'm in my middle age now i guess if i hope that i get to live to be 96 then i'm in my middle age you will um and love pills you know what it is to be a father to two girls what it is to be a father period what it is to be married for i mean you know uh, george and i have been together now uh, we we started going out 18 years ago yeah and that as a concept the concept of like you could be with someone for 18 years that still sounds crazy to me mm -hmm. and so the album deals sort of piece by piece with all of those things and it's just me getting to express that part of myself and not just in terms of what the songs are about lyrically but i think also the music is what it is to be someone who's been influenced by all of that all of the R&B that I listen to, all of the singer-songwriters I listen to, all of the, the salsa music and all of the disco music and all of the classical music and everything that goes into my head, you know, how do I get it out there? And, uh, you know, I happen to love music. That, I think, is the... If there's a, Still, right? Just as much, do you feel like, as when you got your first More so, because piano? in a lot of ways, I don't get to... I don't get to explore it the way that I used to. I, now I get to explore it professionally and I get to explore it with really great musicians. And yeah. that's, that's thrilling. But what I used to get to do is I would push play and a whole new world would open up to me. And that doesn't happen as much anymore. Now I'm, I, I, like, I get to go to different... I get to go to different houses within every town that I know. Right. You know, I, I I hear music and I say, oh, I, I know what box this came out of. And I see, oh, it's got this ingredient and this ingredient yeah. and all of that. Less surprises. So, there are less surprises. So it's richer. Um, but I, in a lot of ways, the, the missing that discovery is what keeps me at the piano. Because I keep thinking, oh, there's still something new. There's still something I haven't found. There's still some new world that I'm going to open the door to. And uh, I, if, the, if I am, the degree to which I am allowed to say that I'm a success, and I'm nervous about saying it because I, you know, I know whatever, whatever. But I, it, 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 
I know there is a lot of levels, there are a lot of levels of success above whatever I have here. So, but the degree to which I'm a success is entirely, I think, based on the fact that I just love music, that I love making it and sitting in it and listening to it and building it. And my life and my worlds are composed of little blocks of notes and chords and rhythms and textures and sounds. And I can't wait to sort of live in them. And that to me is, that's all I have ever wanted my life to be about was this world where I sort of float on a a, a wave of music all the time. And I just love doing that. That's beautiful, dude. I got got chills hearing you talk about that. And it's extra special to be in your room where you um, create. I feel like this is, I feel like I'm sitting in the room where Jim Henson came up with the voice for Kermit and Ralph the dog. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Where like, Actually, it's really, it's just the room where uh, usually my kids are practicing uh, piano. But um, <laughs> I, I really pull the rug out from under that sentiment. Here's, uh, here's what I do in this room right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I check Facebook. But I, um, <laughs> I think I, the, I've got three projects that I'm working on. And, it, you know, I do a concert every month yep. at, at Subculture. And so the Subculture concert's always my aim is always to do a new song there and always to work with a new guest, somebody I haven't worked with before and to do. It's awesome. So that's all. And that's a lot. And those concerts end up being a lot more work than I think they were going to be when I signed up for it. But I love them so much. They're the, they're the reason I'm still living in New York. I think is because that I couldn't do anywhere else, but this city, that room is so great and so specific and my musicians who I love and who have grown up with now that's also who you are you can't go into something and think it's just going to be a small thing like you once you probably got into it you're like all right i'm going to put everything behind this even though the work no, is more demanding true. no well that's the and is, i am i am lazy and i am undisciplined but i will not allow the work to be shitty yeah. it is it is really important to me when the when the hammer comes down you have to know that this work that i did i went in all the way i did not you know i didn't cheat out of it what creatively do you need around you when you are like in this room with with picture your family and and your work and just like so i mean you can look out at the uh at the street i mean is it do you need candles or no what i need is hard in new york city what i need actually is i need silence i need i need to feel like i can make noise and fail at it and that's hard when you feel like everyone can hear what you're doing um, you know, in Los Angeles, you were you were at my place when we lived yeah. in L.A. And that I had like this studio in the back of the house, like downstairs. And I felt like nobody ever knew what I did in there. And that was very good for me creatively because I some days I would work on the thing I wasn't supposed to be working on. But it was, it was still I got to make music here. It's harder because I've got kids who need to be supervised. and I've got dinners that need to be made. And I've got, you know, just the basic business what is right business like yeah. and all that stuff and as you get older that doesn't go away more of it shows up and so what i would love to be able to do is shut the whole world out and just play one note and feel the world start to blossom out of it and that's really hard to do and there's some question about whether i should have this studio in my own apartment or whether i should be somewhere else right but i don't i also don't want to leave the house to, to work but so what i need in order to work is to just feel i guess it's what anyone creative needs i need to feel safe enough that when i do something terrible no one has to know about it i can fail safely right um 
and that's hard. So what you're looking at in this room, I happen to, uh, I, I have my piano in here, and it's a yep. big, I have a big Yamaha grand piano, and the reason I have that is I am a guy who makes music out of acoustic instruments, and I, you know, that makes me some sort of weird throwback, I know, and I, I'm supposed to have the Pro Tools set up and the billions of samplers and everything running all the, you know, and I, as much as I am into sonic texture, for me, there is something about the wood hitting the steel and the you know the, the the metal making the noises that that to me is what makes the music really come alive. I want to make music where I feel people breathing, and so I always start with that piano. Or you, there's a guitar next to you, which yep. I I play really poorly, uh, and it doesn't matter. I just I can. F- feel music come out of it when I hit the strings and I'm like good even if it's even if I don't play it well I can feel how this is gonna breathe and the minute I bring other musicians into the package music just starts to breathe through me so I think when I was a teenager I could have really gotten into being a computer music guy and just I, I did a lot of sequencing when I was a kid and you know I could be one of those guys who just sat with headphones on all day and went really deep and sort of created and that is what the pop music world is God knows and it turns out it's just no it's no it's not that it's no fun because it's a different kind of fun right it's just not the music I wanted to make the music I want to make relies on other people breathing it relies on other heartbeats making noise and i love the fact that like when we play these instruments they were they, this piano there was a tree once and that guitar was a tree once and yeah. you know I, the, when those guys play on those drums those things are skins they were you know theoretically they yeah. were animals there was you know there's just there's life in all of this stuff i i love that so i i never discount the value of electronic music, but I'm really very careful to say I I want to preserve a space where my music can be, if I want it to be, it can be acoustic. It can be made yeah. by on a, by acoustic instruments, uh, and I I think that has made my work. I think that's part of the sound of what I do. I think part of the sound of what I do is that about just the the creaking and the the breathing mm-hmm. and the sweating of it uh, is is very much. Uh, in the middle of it so you know if there is a sound of my work if there's a jason robert brown sound i think that's part of it to me well i think that's why i like so many others are in awe of what you do is because just like you said i don't think there is anything more powerful than just somebody in a piano like again there's you know full band or or even just the more produced sounds that a lot of music is uh succumbing to like you know again like when i saw you do last five years at ucla but you do that every now and then too, right? Do a. I haven't sung it in a long time. What you saw at UCLA, I actually sang the part. Yeah, that I, was awesome. That, was that fun? It was great, but, you know, singing is hard. <laughs> Acting is hard, singing is hard. You're telling me, man, I lost the role of Tony Danza. Well, please, that's, that wasn't the role you were up for. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, you know, the, the trick for me. Uh, last five years I just got too old you know I, and if I don't believe me doing it then no right. one's going to believe me doing it but you know the, the whole point is the guy in the play is supposed to be 25 years old and you know by the time I was 43 I thought you know what I'm probably I'm probably reached the end of, of, uh, of this cycle of my life but I still do the you know we do the show all the time and it's a movie which is it's phenomenal a, How do, I mean get out of here I have a movie 
There it is. Look, there's how, the poster. There's Anna Kendrick and Jeremy yeah. Jordan staring at you. How crazy is that? Mocking you for your own <laughs> your own failures because there they are being movie stars. They're perfect. And who are you? Um, <laughs> Not them. What was that process like? Did it was great. My my deal with the movie was, I, and my deal if we make a thirteen movie, my yes. deal will be the same, which is I. I want to take care of the music. That's that's. There's my bodyguard again. Um, <laughs> I take care of the music, and it is not my job to take care of the way the movie looks. So I need. I I approved the script. Uh, Rich Lagravenez, who I, like I need to tell Rich Lagravenez how to write a script. Yeah. So Rich, you know, wrote a script which was basically just the lyrics and and what happens during them, and I approved that. And then I said the only deal is nobody touches the music except for me. But I don't want to tell Richard Legraven as how to direct a movie. And I don't really want to tell anyone in there. I don't want to get in the way. So my job is how, how can I help you make the movie you want to make out of my piece? Because ultimately, the show's going to live on. The yeah. show's going to be the show. And people are always going to bring their own vision to the show and their own interpretation of the show. But I know what it is. Yeah. But I didn't want to be the guy who was sitting there during the shoot and being like, I don't know. I, <laughs> cut. Am I allowed to say cut? Let's, let's just cut. I didn't, I didn't want to be that That's person. A good call. And honestly, I, th- th- I find the set to be the most tedious place on earth. And yeah. I'm like, I'm glad you care about the way that that car is positioned, you know, way off in the left corner yes. of the shot. I couldn't care. Less. So, <laughs> yeah. so I thought you guys shoot the movie and I'll, you know, maybe I'll give you some helpful notes, but by and large, I want to get out of the way. And I was just, I'm so, I'm thrilled with the movie. Yeah. And more importantly, I cannot fucking believe that someone made a movie out of my show. It's Isn't like, that crazy. I know. I like, I was going to say like going to the premiere, like at what. Like, what was your step back moment of seeing? Because, look, I mean, seeing a movie and seeing a killer Broadway show are both, in their own rights, very thrilling. But yeah, but so they're different. very different worlds. And, you know, we went up to uh, Toronto International Film Festival, and the That's film awesome. was, you know, was in competition up there. And so to go up. Get this a little to, more near. Huh? A little more near. Yeah. Oh, am I not? I'm just, not just a little bit. I'm sorry, I'm it's, apparently not speaking. <laughs> you're perfect. Close enough to it's the It's picking microphone. you up. I'm, I'm going to use my vaunted microphone technique. <laughs> oh, God. Now. So we went up to the Toronto International Film Festival. And, uh, Cut. Uh, no, look, Jason, in this next one, uh, this one needs to be audible. Okay. Uh, the line so is, the line we, is um, I have a fridge, bitch. So we, <laughs> <laughs> we got up there and... I mean, what Anna, Anna, who's so used to this routine, I'm mean, like, she had to lay down in the back of the car so that her dress didn't get any creases on it. Yeah. I was like, so like she had a whole understanding of what it was to be in movie world that I had none. The only, the only like really, and especially given what's happened since the time, I think this is why this is so embedded in my memory, but there was one party that we all went to and you know, I was already in my 40s and I, this is clearly never going to be my world and I don't care. And you're all funny people. Okay, great. So I went to like, oh, look, there's movie stars all wandering around. And my agent at the time said, you got to meet this guy. And it was Harvey Weinstein. Wow. And so Harvey Weinstein says, well, if your agent says that I should meet you, then I, I guess you're the real deal. And he was, I was physically... Like my body wouldn't go towards him. I just no I had way. such a vibe from him, and I was like, I, I just couldn't. And he, I, like I think he put out his hand to shake my hand, and I probably did because yeah. I'm a nice boy. But everything in my body was like, oh, this oh, is a terrible person. Yeah. I could just tell. I could feel something about it, which I don't think is like, oh, my enormous powers of you know uh, uh, of knowledge about people, but it just. 
there was so much entitlement coming from that one that's human insane. being. And so that's what I remember. And so when all this shit started coming down last year, I was like, I not only am I not surprised, but boy, am I glad. There are so many points in your career oh, yeah. where somebody comes along and you think, oh, I wish that I could take the ride. I bet if that person took me on, then I would finally have an easy life. And I know, just looking at that person, that there are sacrifices to my moral integrity that I would have to take to do it. But I would do it because I wouldn't fall down those traps. Yeah. And we had it with Parade, we had it. The guy who was running uh, Livent at the time was an equally noxious human being named Garth Drabinsky. And I could tell that Garth was bad news, but I was like, he's gonna produce my Broadway musical. Yeah. And ultimately, Garth got arrested before he could produce my Broadway musical, so I never had to do that. But I think about the times where Kevin Spacey, what we wouldn't have given for Kevin Spacey to star in one of my fucking shows. Like, Kevin Spacey, he'll sell some tickets. And I was always like, okay, I guess Kevin Spacey. And it didn't happen. The only reason why I didn't get dragged down along with any of these people is because they just, they didn't think I was good enough. (laughs) They didn't think my work (laughs) mattered enough. And I'm like, I'm like, I am insulted. And my victory lap is you disgusting fucks didn't get to bring me down. How oh dare you God. not think I was good enough for you? Also, also, I was better than you. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. That full circle. Yeah, that is. You think, you know, it takes some hindsight to, to understand that, like, you know, what you're doing in your path, like, there's certain things that you. Uh, want so badly until and you're like this is going to help right now and just being uh, I don't know the lack of experience right of what are we doing your phone is about to run out of battery so I'm plugging you in that is you're a good Jewish mother at heart I am a mensch you're still one of my kids you know I know now that that you're a big (laughs) Netflix star (laughs) Um, what is it when do you know that a show thank you is uh I'm going to trust this computer. When do you... Uh, it's your second mistake. When, <laughs> when do you know that a song is... Uh, so you won Tony's for Parade and Bridges of Madison County. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Well, they were good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Great answer. It would be insane if those they were terrible yeah. shows and you still won Tony's for them. That's insane. <laughs> uh, when do you... I have so many questions about that. You took your mom to... Parade was first, right? Yes. Uh do you I'm sure I mean people in the music business it's almost like in comedy people go when do you know a joke is done you know getting some great closer when with a song like you know will you give yourself uh, will you will you uh, write until it's done will you come back to it will you what's the process to when you can step away and go now it's ready for the show songs are a little tricky in musicals because they have to be it has to be the right moment for the characters and the story. And so one of the hardest things I've found is if the song is the right moment, I usually don't have any trouble writing the song. The song sort of, it doesn't write itself. Songs are hard to write. But if the character needs what the character needs and the story needs what the story needs and everything is building to that moment, then the song will sort of bloom out of it. There are a lot of times in any given musical where the song isn't exactly the right moment, but you need something to get you from one end. You know, you need the character to walk you to what will eventually be the big thing. So you end up writing a lot of songs that are perfectly good. You know, they're like, 
they're technically good. They do the A, the A, the B, the A. You know, they get you right. from one end of the song to the other. But they're not like this is the greatest thing I ever wrote. And if you try and write a whole show of this is the greatest thing I ever wrote, you'll die. You know, you'll never get anything done. So you know that there are certain moments in a show that you point to. So first of all, you have to get through the other ones that you're not pointing to because you have to do them well. You have to get the characters where they need to go. But then when you get to like the magic moment, or like this is the song that this character is going to sing that defines this character for the whole show. And the weird question is, did I write it well enough? And you'll know if you wrote it well enough. In a lot of ways, I find if the moment was exactly right. But there are places, I talk about this a lot. There was In the last five years, there's a song called If I Didn't Believe in You. Yep. And If I Didn't Believe in You takes place sort of in the middle of this fight between uh, the, the two characters. And I tried writing it for about six months. And every time I wrote it, it was sort of wrong. And I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on because I thought, I know what I need the character to accomplish. I know this is the song that I need this to be in the show. And I moved, what I eventually decided was, what if I start the song five minutes later in the scene? Like, later in the fight. And all I had to do was that thing, and the song suddenly went, boom, and it all came out of me. And there are those little micro-calculations that you don't know. You don't know what the variable is that's stopping the song from, blow, from blooming. But if you have enough chops, and let's hope by now I have enough chops, yeah. I can sort of write anything. I mean, you know, I can, if you tell me, all right, this is what the character needs, I can do it. Yes. But there is the moment where it's really supposed to explode. And if I can't get it to explode, I have to be able to say, first of all, I'm having a problem. Mm-hmm. And then there are so many other people working on a show. I have to open myself up to the rest of that room and say, all right, person who wrote the book of the show, person who's directing the show, even person who's designing the show, person who's acting the show, I need you to help me because I can't get this number to to bloom the way it's supposed to bloom. And it is a writing issue. I have to solve the writing issue, but you guys are going to need to help me walk to where the writing issue is because I can't find it yet. There is a part in every show I've done where I have needed that sort of like, I've got to throw out what I think the song is supposed to be and just move it around a little bit. The opening number of Honeymoon in Vegas is a song called I Love Betsy. And it was like the 17th opening number I'd written. No way. And I I am not a fan of rewriting songs. And I couldn't do it. And thank, I mean... It is the weirdest thing, but I went and I saw Jason Siegel had just made that first Muppets movie. Yes. And I went and saw it, and the opening number was just people walking around the street singing some stupid song about being, <laughs> I just like being a person. And yeah. I was like, it was a nothing song. And I was like, that's what I have needed. I have needed the song to just be about what the show is about, which is I love Betsy. It's a guy walking down the street telling the audience what he feels like. And I, that's I, how you came up with it? Yes. And, <laughs> oh my God, that was such a great opening number. And there are just little things that unlock it all the time. So I. But you can't be looking for them. If I am sitting at the piano for more than like a half hour and nothing's coming, my answer is not, oh, well, I better sit more at the piano. My answer really is, I better get up and I better go walk the dog and I better just get out of it. I, I spend so little time writing comparative to what my life is. In the course of a week, I might spend two hours writing. Okay, so you're not one of these people that's like, hey, I write it from 9 to 10 a.m. every day or 2 I to 6. I wish I could, but 
if I force myself to the piano, there's a chance that something will come out. Yeah. But what often comes out, you could out do that is, if you're someone was like, "Hey, I need a song by tomorrow for this right. movie. Can no, you write a that right?" And right. that will be the moment at which I'm like, "Fine, I can sit down. I'll do it. Close the doors. Everybody get yeah. out of my way. I got to do this." Yeah. But this thing about what's going to inspire a song to happen. I'm almost never inspired by, oh, I sat down at the piano or I sat at the guitar and a thing happened. It's often, just as I am like rounding the corner with my dog, there's a phrase that comes to me and that the two lines, not a musical phrase, though that happens also, but like two words will come to me and I'll be like, oh, the character would say that. And the character says it in my head and suddenly there's a pulse underneath it. There's a beat that goes with it. There's a there's a groove to it. There's a feel. And, you know, usually I like, I, I have like three notes and I run into the house and I start playing those three notes on the piano and I say, what are those? And suddenly then something blows up out of it. But if I had been sitting at the piano trying to do that, it wouldn't have come. And I, I, I think that I, I have to constantly give myself permission to let my mind do what it has to do because I think I'm just scared of writing I think yeah. you know why not admit that I mean we're I, you know but I, I am I'm scared of writing I'm scared of it not being as good as the last thing I wrote I'm scared that the last thing was a fluke and yeah. I'll never do but that but that's what keeps you I mean sharp and, and, and driving you to, to make the next thing great I, up to a point yeah. I mean I, to be honest at a certain point I'm like when do I get to stop doing this yeah. you know I'm not gonna be yes. alive forever so maybe at a certain point I just get to say alright I wrote the last five years good I'm done Yeah. Um, but I you know I'm not there yet it's, so it's funny how I think you, you like you want to keep yourself busy enough with life and stuff that's not the creative stuff so that you can fuel the creative stuff, but then not be so busy that the creative stuff doesn't get room to breathe or rise to the top or be so in front of you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because well, if you have all day to sit around... You can always occupy yourself with something other than the right. work. There is always shit going on that you can occupy, especially in the last two years. There has always been shit going on in the world that you can occupy yourself with so as not to do the work. Right. Oh, I want to distract myself. Congratulations. <laughs> there, is a, there is a zillion planets worth of information <laughs> that I could drown myself in right, right now. But you have to love the work enough that you'll pull away from those distractions in order to do it. But what I have always wanted, and I have, is a life of balance. I wanted a family. I wanted to have these kids. I wanted to have, you know, the day-to-day -day routine of waking up and getting them to school and, you know, then them coming home at the end of the day and having dinner. And, you know, what does all that mean? And getting to take them to shows and getting to... Is it the best? It's, it is as good as the other thing. Yeah. It is not that... I would trade all of my writing just so that I could have these kids. But the other thing is also true. I would not trade in my family so that I could go and write more. You know, I, I need both of them, and I am equally satisfied by both of them in such enormously yeah. different ways. And I think there are people who just don't need the other thing. I think there are people who just don't, they want their art to be the whole deal. They want to just live in it all the time. and. I'm occasionally jealous of it because they are so productive and they're so just, they can explore into all these different ways. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I get to snuggle with my girls and I, they get to tell me these things and I'm like, that's out there? You guys found out about this and I don't know about this? And you wouldn't find out unless you were, you know, hanging out with nine-year-olds, hanging yeah. out with 13-year-olds all yeah. the time. Are they, they're, they're at a point where they're, they're, I mean, they've sang with you, right? I saw, I think, a video you posted. The older one. I mean, the, 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 the little one is, uh, 
she's a good musician and she's a real artist and she you know she loves to draw and she loves to dance but she's not a ham she doesn't want to be the center of attention yeah. she wants everyone to do everything with her right so if there was like a room full of people singing that's what she wants to be right. in but if it's like put her up on a stage she's like oh god no, 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 I don't want to do that yeah the older one is the opposite she's the ham she wants to be the center of attention she and so and way to music uh, 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 she sings she wants to be a, a musical theater actress and she wants to be a director and she you know she wants That's cool to, right she loves the theater yeah. she's total theater geek yeah um which i mean in this house of course she is but um so it's it's awesome and it's great but i had to do a demo uh two weeks ago there was a, a movie that the people were pitching to me and they asked if i would write a song for it so I wrote the song and this character that was singing it was a 13-year-old girl and she was supposed to be sort of sassy uh, and, you know, she had to be, you know, a little tough and very smart and yeah. very quick and I was like, I have one of these in my house. <laughs> and, and so I asked her, I said, will you sing on this demo? And she was like, oh, fine. And, you know, what a great she, daughter response. We, we just had, I was, that was so great. I mean, we went into a studio and there, she, you know, the band had played the track and then there she no was way. with her headphones on singing to the track. And I said to her afterwards, I said, was that cool? She said, I was so scared. I said, I wouldn't have ever known. She said, well, I'm not going to show you. <laughs> That's unbelievable. It's amazing. But so, you know, they're both really gifted musicians, it, but I would be... I mean, I would be a little insulted, to be honest, if they if they weren't good musicians. Yes. Uh, their mother alone is this unbelievable yeah, Your wife, Georgia, musician. is in, you, you guys are a power couple of talent. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, you know, and so uh, to be in a house, with, I, I remember when Georgia was giving birth. I mean, li literally, we were in the hospital and she was sitting there in labor. And I looked at her belly and I said, do you know that this baby doesn't even know she's a musician yet? And George and I looked at each other and we both laughed because of course it's true. What yeah. else are you going to do in yeah. this house? Of course you're going to be a musician. Yeah. You don't have to do it for a living. In fact, it may be for the best that you do not do it for a living. <laughs> right. But there's no one who's going to live with us for you know 21 years of their lives or however long it is until we get them out of here who's not going to end up being a musician. How much has being uh, a father and a husband uh, changed your work or process? I mean, you've spoken to it a little bit as far as like the routine, but Georgia also, I mean... You got that's a big thing to bond over. You guys, obviously, right? Like to be so passionate about what your um, well, uh, big you part know, of what your life is. I'll tell you this: I'm not because I'm not a primarily comedic writer. Most of what I write is about what hurts, and I say that not like oh, I only write depressing things, but I I write about the things that sort of punch you in the heart. That's the stuff that I feel like I know how to do. That's my right. part of the world, right? And I've got the funny, so that's why we need to collaborate. That's exactly so. correct. Yeah. So. Uh, so when you have kids, when I have kids, the thing that happens is I, there are so much, there are so many more places where I can get punched. There's so much that wow. I'm open to. There's so much about what I feel that I just, I don't know that I could have felt that if I didn't have kids. I mean, I don't want to, this is a, a tricky thing to talk about, but when Newtown happened, when Sandy Hook happened, and I, you know I'm a, I'm a big fighter yes. uh, for gun control, yes. and I, I, it's a, a, a big thing with me. But when that happened, it was it was terrible for everybody. But for me, I had a six year old child, and a lot of those kids were exactly that age. And so, I mean. I'm oh, oh yay thank God I have kids so that it would really hurt when you know when all those kids got shot, but I think part of my art has to be 
how do I feel what everyone else feels? How do yeah. I? And if I hadn't been a parent, I don't think I would have felt this thing that every parent feels. Yeah. I don't think I would have had access to that because you can fake it. You know, Stars in the Moon I wrote when I was uh, 19 years old, 20 oh years old or something God. like that. So I didn't know what a 45-year-old wealthy, you know, divorcee feels. Right. You can make it up to a point. You can get into it to a certain point. But as you get older, what I am really searching for all the time in the work is an emotional authenticity, yeah. what feels real, what feels really honest. And I, what I hate most is when, the, when the, the work feels fake, when I feel emotion that is fake, when I think you don't really know what you're talking about up there. Or you don't really uh, know how to attach yourself emotionally to what you're talking about, no, right? No, you saw in a movie that this is the kind of thing that makes people cry, so you wrote it. You know, you sat there in an audience once when somebody was on stage and they talked about this thing and they got emotional about it. So now when you're on stage, you're going to get emotional about it. But it's bullshit. I can see that a mile away and I hate it. Yeah. And you see it in musicals all the time. Musicals are so often manufactured and just sort of sentimental in the, in, with the really the worst sense of the word. Yeah. And it's what I fight against so much in, in the work that I do. But that is that is the thing about my work is... I want to be able to feel, if I can feel it authentically, genuinely, and I communicate that. And I think the thing about my stuff is I am very open to the idea that every emotion has a lot of colors to it. And I don't tend to feel things in primary colors. Everything is a little bit ambivalent, a little bit, there's well, there's this, but there's also the other side of it. And that is something I like to bring to my work. And I think that is something that's distinct in my stuff is there's always that there's always that little shade if it's something that's very bright there's something that's always a, there's just a little cloudy in there and if it's a little cloudy there's something that's a little quirky and a little you know i like to just make sure that i like politics like anything emotions are not black and white and i that stuff about the human condition that's yeah. the fun thing for me that's that, that's why i write anything is cuz people are inscrutable it's unbelievable that people function the way that they do and, they, and you can't believe that someone could say this thing and experience this life you know donald trump is not any fun because he's not an actual human but you think about someone like you know mitch mcconnell's and uh, theoretically yeah. underneath there is a person yeah. and the compromises he has to make within himself every day that he would never acknowledge he makes what is that like? What is yeah. it like to be Bill Clinton? What do you? What is in that? So these are like those are the hugest versions of what it is to be people. But what about just normal people who walk down the street? That everything we feel is brought to us, you know, is brought to you by the letter X. It's all brought to you by all of these different yeah. things. That you know, my music is full of all of these things. My lyrics are full of all these things. I just want the work to be full of those things because that's what makes it feel human. It's, I mean, I think, again, music and comedy are synonymous like this, where it's like you have to live a life worth writing about, right? So you have to, if you don't have certain things that you've gone out actively in your world to surround yourself with or make a part of it so that you can um, see it, um, you know, through your own eyes and also feel it through your own eyes, then how are you supposed to uh, uh, allow other people to, right? I think you have to care about the world. Yeah. I think you have to care about the world. Not so much like, oh, I'm going to read the New York Times every day. But I think you have to, when you get on the subway, you have to look at those other people and be curious. Take people you in. To, you know, what is, it, what is it that makes them interesting to you? If you genuinely don't find the world interesting, 
or if you're only interested in you and you and I both know plenty of people whose <laughs> yeah. only real interest is like, what do I look like in yeah. the mirror and what do I feel like right now yeah. but I have a genuine I really I care about the world it drives me crazy I don't like people very much but I really care about them and that hopefully is in the work I hope that I hope that the work that I see is created by people who care about the world what was it like taking your mom to the Tonys well I, you know my mom and dad my dad was still alive at the time so they got to go to the Tonys and I went I had just split up with my wife so I actually went with my my girlfriend right and so we were sitting in separate places because the the people who are uh the, the nominees get to sit in the orchestra section, yeah. but then if you're buying other tickets, those were uh, up in the balcony. I'll so my mom them. was, but she was in like the front row of the of the of the mezzanine. Yeah, so it was it was still a good spot. But the the weird thing about it is, if you win, knock on wood, God bless you if you're lucky enough, you go up on stage and then you really don't come back out into the theater for a very long time because there's a press room and there's a, you know a lot of shaking hands and, and then there's yeah. all the other winners and there's a, so. I really didn't interact with my mother. I, I won, and this was before I think I even had a cell phone. And I won, and I, I, you know, I'm immediately whisked off stage. And that was it. So my mother was like, you know, I, my mom and dad are both like, I, he just won a Tony Award. <laughs> yeah. And they couldn't tell me anything. Right. They, you know, they were just stuck up there in right. the mezzanine. And then, oh, look, here's Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's always that. You always throw to Chenoweth. There's always it, yeah. it, it, everything. It goes along, and then there's Kristen Chenoweth. Um, so that way, uh, my mom now lives uh, literally around the corner from me here. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and it is right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is amazing to have a family that supports the work that yeah. I do. It's, you know, it's weird exposing, you know, myself the last five years certainly is a very personal show and yep. to expose that part of my life. I was like, do I really want my mother to see that? And I think a lot of people can be like, I'm going to show my mother what I'm really like. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I don't really have that desire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd like to have some separation. Of course. But, uh, but she's been just so open. Accepting to like, of it all, right? What is, you know, what is this world you're in? I want to I wanna see it. My dad, my dad really wanted to be part of it. My dad was friends with all the actors That's and he'd awesome. always be buying people dinner. And, you know, and my mom is a, a little more standoffish. And, you know, but she... She loves getting to come to my concerts at Subculture, and she's treated like royalty. You know, she That's awesome, she dude. has a, a place in Florida because she's an older Jewish woman. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were doing a production of The Bridges of Madison County at some theater not far from her place there. And she went, and the cast all sang happy birthday to my mother, and they brought her up <laughs> on stage afterwards, and, you know, they saved her a special seat. Oh, man. You know, she never thought that was going to be part yeah. of her life. So yeah. that's really cool. You know, and meanwhile, my brother, who, you know, is like the CFO of an insurance company in Des Moines, you know, he's like, I don't recall anyone paying this kind of attention when I got promoted. I don't. That was not a thing that happened. And I'm like, well, you yeah. know, you're my, not. My, my coworkers will sing you happy birthday. Yeah. It's like, sorry, you know, you're not in a world of attention whores. Yeah. And I am. And that's that's what that's yeah. what mom likes, apparently. So, oh, well, I guess I won this round. Chuck, you know, we're done. Oh, shit. Did you, uh, were you able to take it in? Can you do a few more minutes? Maybe five, ten more minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Were you able to take it in or was it too much of a, because, you know, I don't know how many years of work had built up to this moment and to get the, like, national accolades like that, that's obviously, 
you know, when you, did you, do you have flashbacks to the piano bar gigs and the um, writing for the opera singer? Was she there? Did you invite her as a plus one just to be like, thank no. God it wasn't, see what you almost stopped me from doing? Um, no, I did run into that opera singer again a couple of years later and she had moved on to a different husband but was still exactly as narcotized <laughs> and sort of wandering off in the world. It's almost um, comforting, right? To be like, oh, you haven't changed. Good. Yeah. No, no. I, and, I'm and, moving. and she had no recollection of ever having met me. I mean, I literally... Well, that's like. Best. Like for a year, twice a week, I came to her apartment and played. And then she saw me like four years, maybe five years later. Benjamin. And it, and I, I mean, I literally said, oh, hi. And I said her name. And she looked at me and like, total, I have no idea. And I said, you know, I used to Well, it could play, have been the surgery. And I didn't even finish the sentence because I thought, maybe she doesn't want to be reminded of that life. Maybe, Whoa. you know, maybe she took an eternal sunshine moment and <laughs> has no memory of it. Yeah, I, yeah. So that was super weird. Um, but you did take in the moment, and did you have like I don't know that I took in the now. moment. Okay. I, I didn't take in the moment because it was everything about that was just weird. Parade had already closed. I think you're not supposed to win a Tony Award for a show that is already gone. So Whatever. there was there was like, and that was the same with Bridges. So there was this whole weird thing. Like I imagined that it was going to be like what Lin Manuel got to feel when Hamilton won. You know, it's like Hamilton won everything and he's carried away on everybody's shoulders. That's the great. And Parade, in fact, it was like, it was this tiny private moment because there was no team of people around me because the show was long gone. And in a way that suits me and it suits what my career feels like. But I remember just being in that moment, just feeling generally bewildered because... If there was a machine that was supposed to then kick into place, like you've won a Tony Award now, here's the rest of your career, it, I, I sort of opened the door and there was no machine there. And I was like, huh, well, that's funny. So it took me, I think, a long time to really take the measure of it. You know, I have, the, you, you can look up and they're, they're there in my studio now. And I, 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 I love having Tony Awards. It's an amazing thing. And what I really do is I, I do use it to remind myself that I have a position in this business because I, I, I really do, I keep the business at an arm's length um, and I, I keep the people in the business at, a, at an arm's length because I, I like to have my life and my yep. work and, and, and not get too Selfie. crazy about it. Um, and there are times where I feel like, you know, everybody is having a Broadway party and I'm not invited. And I can look up at those Tony Awards and I'm like, oh, right, I am. I'm here. You're I part did of it. it. I'm yeah. part of it. And yeah, yeah. So they matter to me now in a lot of ways more than I was able to acknowledge them mattering at the time. Um, Have you ever thought of taking one of the Tonys and throwing them through the window of one of the parties that you're not at? Um, no, no. Okay. Well, no, look. because I'm not allowed to. You have to. <laughs> this is not. I, this wasn't true with the Bridges uh, Tonys, but with Parade, I actually got a form in the mail and it said, We're about to send you your award. We're thrilled to do this, but before we do, you have to sign this release. And what had been going on around then was that there were a bunch of like Academy Awards that were going up on eBay. Yeah. And, you know, people were like buying them for whatever it was. So this thing said, this Tony Award is actually the property of the American Theater Wing. It's not yours. We've just given it to you. And if you ever decide that you don't want it, you cannot sell it. You cannot license it. You can't do anything. You can tell us that you would like us to have it back, and we will give you $10. And it said that. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, you know, <laughs> it is nice to know what this is worth. Yeah. 
<laughs> this is worth yeah. $10. People say you can't put a price on your success. Well, you can. <laughs> so I can't throw it through any windows because then the league would come after me and they'd be like, I'm sorry, we need that back. Here's your $10. <laughs> Oh my God. All right. I got to wrap it up. I yeah. got dinner coming. Okay. I love you. Um, this has been amazing. That's fantastic. Um, I'm so mad that it's just you and me. I thought there was going to be another person. In the I room. know you said up top, uh, I don't get a dwarf, which I said is a great title for a show. <laughs> um, and uh, you will at some point because Brad knows who you are and, and would have loved to have um, been here. Uh, well, I, I do think wanna... the deal is you guys have to come to a subculture show and this is where we've got to get you up on the stage. White tux. Oh, yeah. Not tails, just the white tux, the martini glass, and we're, you're going to do standards for, I think, I think you got to do like 15 or 20 songs. I think we got to like do a full, I would love to, a full Vegas a whole worth sh- yes. night. And just really, and but I want it all to be, it's not standards. I want it all to be, I'll tell you, it's all Bon Jovi songs <laughs> in the style of Vegas standards. Is that what so, you think my, my range is? I, no, yeah. I think, I, I, but I, that's, I, I, either Bon Jovi, you could, you could make it like I, I think you, I've sent you some songs. Remember that I've been yeah. like, "Hey man, I'm still I still got some chops." Like, yeah, no, there was something about uh, tits. There was all, all, <laughs> this, all the songs you sent me. I think were involved. That was way the, back in the tits. day. The, yeah. the one I sent you recently was the the holiday one. Remember the one yes. that was yeah. that was good, right? Yeah, sure. So we're doing all of that. <laughs> That's what we're doing. But it's, it's all maybe Bon Jovi is not. Do you remember that we did Hey There from the Pajama Game yes. for class? That's a, see, but that's what I mean. You're in there. That's yeah. your that's your that's your thing with your resonant baritone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the one thing I just want to say that you get asked most by young actors that you uh, tell them or musicians? They or, all ask me what advice am I supposed to give them, and I give them all the the, the same advice, which yeah. is I, and it's 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 dumb advice, but the the advice I really give. Um, there is this thing called um, doing your best and I think with writing the challenge of doing your best is to not let up until you actually get there and your best today is not the same as your best tomorrow so you don't have to worry about doing your best tomorrow right now but you really have to like you have to dig in and the question isn't about did I did I do my best but the question is, did I not do my best yet? And if you're an actor and you go into that audition or you even you go on stage or you do that act or whatever it is, and you get out there and you say, you know what? I didn't get there yet. That wasn't my best. You just have to be able to acknowledge that. I think the real difference between the pros and the amateurs is the pros know when they didn't nail it. It's not about I can nail it every time because nobody can, but you know when you didn't get it. And for me, the joy of working with other performers and the joy of working with other writers is when they can sit there and they can throw it out there and be like, nope, 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 that isn't it. I want the people with the judgment who've got those kind of chops. So if you ask me what my advice is that I I give to anybody, it's keep looking. Are you sure that you did your best? And if you didn't, are you ready to do the work to get there? Wow. That was amazing. That sounded very passionate. I was very that passionate. Was, yeah. You are sweating profusely. Yes. Um, also, there's no air conditioning. Yeah. Out, but you're amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to call you a friend. Oh, bodyguard. Thank you for doing yes. this. Miles, how did we do? Was that good? Are you going to lick the microphone? He did. He licked the mic. So, that's the show.
about last night podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. Boy, they're a lot of fun, huh? Why don't you subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast, give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.